Welcome to Books and Beyond with your host, Alison. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. I know this girl and she works in a library, yeah, standing there behind the counter, willing to help with all the problems. No my hide my Kiara and welcome to Books and Beyond Literary Lounge with Alison and Inika. Brought to you once again from our home studios. Kiara Inika. Kiara Alison, how are you? Oh look good, thanks. Good. Reading up a storm <laughs> in this um these sort of very royal times that we're we're living in. Um, jubes. <laughs> yes, that's right. Um yep, so we're going to talk about what we've been reading today. So if you don't mind, I'll start because I've been okay. telling you about this um, non-fiction I've been reading and it's amazing. So I'm going to just briefly talk about Helen Kelly, Her Life by Rebecca McPhee, published just last year and it's available in hard copy in our adult non-fiction section and also as an overdrive ebook. So, um, this is a New Zealand book about a famous, amazing woman. So, mm. what I'm going to do, I want to just um, start by reading the publisher's description of the book because I feel as though it describes it really well. So, the publisher writes of this book, When Helen Kelly died on a Wellington spring night in October 2016 with her partner by her side and a bunch of peonies, the first of the season, by her bed, Aotearoa New Zealand lost an extraordinary leader. Kelly was the first female head of the country's trade union movement, but she was also much more a a visionary who believed that all workers, whether in a union or not, deserved to be given a fair go. She was a fighter from a deeply communist family who never gave up the struggle. She was a strategist and an orator who invoked strong loyalty, a woman who could stir fierce emotions. Mm. Her battles with famous people were the stuff of headlines. She took on Peter Jackson, the country's icon of the time. She was accused in Parliament of doing irreparable irreparable damage Mm -hmm. to the union movement and by employers of exploiting the bereaved families of dead workers. While many saw her as a hero, to others she was that woman, Uh. a bloody pain in the neck. In this brilliant book, award-winning journalist Rebecca McPhee takes you not only into Kelly's life, but into a defining period in the country's history when old values were replaced by the individualism of neoliberalism and the well-being and livelihood of workers faced unremitting stress. Throughout it all, Helen Kelly stood as an electrifying figure. So that's the end of the publisher's um, blurb. I just thought that was really powerful. Uh. So I got so much out of this book. It's a great social history of the last 50 years in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Helen Kelly was born in Wellington in, in 1964 to staunchly 
principled parents. Her father, Pat Kelly, was very active in the union movement. And her mum, Kath Eichelbaum, who was from a prominent Wellington intellectual family, was known mainly for her work in the anti-Vietnam War movement. Mm. And Kath and Pat met while out on the streets selling a communist newspaper called The People's Voice. It actually sounds very romantic in a way. (laughs) So growing up in Wellington, the Kelly household was always full of thinkers, unionists, idealists, very bohemian. Mm. And many of the people who would visit and stay at the Kelly house were raging against the machine. And you can really see how this would have influenced our young Helen. The family were very active in the peace movement, the anti-apartheid and anti-nuclear causes, amongst other things. Mm. Now, Helen received a great education as people born in the 60s did. She received this both at home and, and through the school and university system in Wellington. And she was forever grateful uh, for the opportunities that she'd had to learn about how to think critically about the world. And um, everything she learned from visitors to the Kelly household, alongside her father's experience of growing up in poverty in Liverpool in the UK, it's um, with all of that, it's no wonder that she developed a passion to, to serve and, and fight for better conditions for working Kiwis. So after uh, working her way up through the student and then the trade union movement, she eventually became the first female leader of the combined trade unions. Mm-hmm. So then this was the top union job in the country. So in, a, in an old boys club that was the union movement, this was a big achievement. Now, Helen's life was was cut short in a, a cruel and tragic way. She died of cancer when she was only 52. And, you know, if she'd lived, I'm sure she would have been in Parliament. Maybe mm. another Prime Minister. Who knows? We'll never know. Now, this book is so well written and the research that Rebecca McPhee has has put into it is just impeccable. It's got a great index in bibliography, which we love, don't we, as librarians? <laughs> we do. And yet the writing, it's super accessible and it's really vivid. It paints a, a vivid picture. I found that um, reading a book, I found myself feeling quite angry at times. You know, the tragedies we've seen in this country from the Pike River mine disaster... Mm-hmm ongoing deaths in the forestry and shipping industries and other tragedies that that workers have have faced, Um, plus the general erosion of workers' rights and our descent into a low-wage, unequal community. Um, Helen Kelly involved herself in the aftermath of many industrial accidents Mm. and she always fought for justice. And for her, the personal was always political and and vice versa. Mm. However, and she never used the word I. It was always we, us, and our. She was, you know, a true working class hero. And the writer, Rebecca McPhee, has done her proud with this book. And then, of course, Helen faced her own tragedy and that of terminal cancer. She was a trailblazer for medicinal marijuana um, and fighting all right until the end, fighting mm-hmm. for that right to be able to access it legally and not be a criminal for, for trying to 
find pain relief. And something else for which I think we can always be thankful to her for. So this is an important social, political personal history. It's an absolute must read in my book. Um, and it's going to be an important one for every library, whether it be public school, academic or home. It's mm. highly recommended. So that's mm. um, Helen Kelly, Her Life by Rebecca McPhee. It's so interesting to think about what Helen would have thought of, um, you know, what has happened during the pandemic, all those conversations yes. around working from home and uh, unequal yes. opportunities of emergency and essential workers yeah really fascinating to wonder what her take would have been on a lot of the stuff that's going yeah. on right now wouldn't it be great to be able to have a conversation mm. with yeah mm. yeah she's much missed that's for sure yes well i have to say Alison, my next um, book <laughs> the books i'm going to talk about next are by a new zealand author a new new zealand author but um, they're a little bit less um, highbrow than that, but they are n- they're certainly no less important. <laughs> now, I have been reading a pair of books by India Holton, and they are called The Wisteria Society of Lady Scoundrels, published in 2021, <laughs> and The League of Gentlewomen Witches, uh, published just this year, 2022. Now, both of these books are part of the um, Dangerous Damsels series, and they're both available in our adult fiction collection. Now, they're marked as historical, although I would argue that perhaps it should be under romance as well as historical. Um, and they're also in Overdrive as e-books and e-audiobooks. So our author, India Holton, describes her Dangerous Danzel series as historical fantasy romantic comedy adventures. So when I read that, I thought, well, that's very difficult to resist, isn't it? You're getting a yes. lot in one little package. <laughs> I think even I could cope with that. I the fantasy's got other stuff around it. Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'll tell you a bit about the Wisteria Society. So, the Wisteria Society of Lady Scoundrels was founded by Beryl Black. Now, she unearthed an incantation which gave her the power to move and transport objects of any weight. Now, she immediately shared it with the ladies in her book club. As you do. As you do, yep. (laughs) And as I quote, they turned from casual literary criticism to piracy with remarkable ease, establishing a class of magnificent women in flying mansions. Oh, my God. So far, so fabulous. So So I can just, as soon as I read that, I thought I could just imagine these genteel women with a steering wheel in one hand, tea in the other, and a pistol in their petticoats. Yes. Uh, They're they're sweeping their four-story Georgian townhouses across the countryside and off to Bath and Clacton-on-Sea and other places where you go to bathe. And occasionally they do touch down on top of each other. They're not so good in the parking and the landing, but uh, (laughs) I can relate, certainly. (laughs) (laughs) Always have to give it two or three attempts. (laughs) Now, the lady scoundrels are light-fingered to a woman with a penchant for fine jewellery. But they do follow three laws. One, no killing the civilians. Two, always pour the tea before the milk. Oh, yes. And three, no stealing each other's houses. Now, our main character in the book is called Cecilia Bassingthwaite. And she is the great niece and ward of uh, one of the most senior lady scoundrels, Miss Darlington. So Cecilia is a plucky 19-year-old and she's working her way up the ranks of the Wisteria Society by practicing her knife skills and 
I quote, the deadly martial art of polite conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Cecilia is looking forward to a life of houses, heists and husbands, but her plans are derailed. Um, There's a failed assassination attempt planned by a fellow lady scoundrel who's gone rogue. And it's carried out by an Italian ruffian by the name of Eduardo De Luca. Now, Cecilia soon finds out that Eduardo goes by many names, including Ned, which is what he's mostly called in this book. And Ned is following Cecilia's every move on behalf of many masters, not just somebody in the in the Lady Scoundrels, but um, also Cecilia's estranged and dastardly father, Morvath, who has ulterior motives. Now, as you'll expect, as this book has got history and romance, Ned keeps popping up all over the place and he keeps distracting Cecilia from her work. Uh, he's also infuriating the good looking with golden locks that swoop over the silver ring in his ear. <laughs> this romance is pretty gorgeous. Um, it, uh, there's lots of sparks between Ned and Cecilia, and it gave me very strong Buttercup and Wesley from the Princess Bride vibes, if, um, if you're familiar with that one. <laughs> and um, I've read online that the author has said that she was a huge fan of those 80s romantical adventure comedies like Romancing the Stone um, with Michael Douglas and mm. Kathleen Turner, was it? I think. And um, yeah, that totally checks out when you read this book. Yeah. <laughs> now, this book is. Um, the beloved bastard child of Jane Austen and Terry Pratchett, I've decided. And it's such great fun to read. It's smart, quick-witted, and very, very funny. Uh, it has a strong thread of feminism and ladies doing it for themselves. So they are genteel with a steely core. They take their scones very seriously. And they have lethal weapons hidden in their fun fans and their button-up boots. Um, a quote from the book here, no men sat at the table, having been left at home to mind the children, guard the treasure, or quite frankly, just stay out of the way of women's <laughs> business. <laughs> Woo! <Yeah. laughs> now, this one and the 2022 sequel um, are both going really well at the libraries at the moment, so I highly recommend you get in the queue right now. Book two, The League of Gentlewomen Witches, features a breakaway group of witches with a long-standing rivalry with the Lady Pirates from the previous book. There's a powerful magical amulet that both the pirates and the witches want control over. And um, Ned has this rakish um, Celtic pirate buddy who pops over from the first book to become the main heartthrob in the second book. Now, I must admit, I I read the second one straight after the first, um, and I did find that the plot of the sequel didn't grab me quite as much. Mm. There was lots of rushing around pursuing this amulet, which I couldn't quite work out what was the big deal about. And um, because there's a very large cast and um, there was pirates and witches jetting around and not all that much differentiation between the two, to be honest, as far as I could see, um, I did find it a bit hard to keep track of who was who, um, outside of the main characters, of course. But there is a cast list in the beginning of each book that you can help, that will help with that, and that's always helpful. Uh, on the plus side, the second book was definitely steamier than the first, so there's oh. a that's mm. a real positive. <laughs> <laughs> I am um, I was skimming reading the second book, so do take my um, my comments on the second book with a pinch of salt. It was the due date was looming, and I needed to get it back. Um, so I would definitely start with the delightful first book with the Wisteria Society of Lady Scoundrels, and then I would dive into the League of Gentlewomen Witches if you dare, and if you if you're ready for the next instalment. Oh, that sounds fabulous! I'm going to take your advice on that, and I'll, <laughs> I'll start at the beginning. Well, look, I've um, been reading. Um, just finished another New Zealand. Uh, 
novel and it's another one that's going great guns at the libraries and mm. understandably so and it's called Double Helix and it's by our amazing Auckland writer Eileen Merriman and published just last year. Now it's available in hard copy in our adult fiction section and also as an overdrive ebook but also as a Wheeler's ebook so it's worth keeping an eye on the mm. Wheeler's okay. ebook platforms. So now this is another medical drama from New Zealand, which oh, I love these. Now, our author, Dr. Eileen Merriman, is a consultant haematologist at North Shore Hospital in Auckland. And um, this would be no doubt more than full-time work and no doubt quite stressful. She's got young children and she's a prolific author. Oh, and um, she also, I found out, completed a PhD in 2018. <laughs> so she's a, a doctor doctor. And um, the question I want to ask her when I'm going to be talking to her next month, which I'm so excited about, mm-hmm. I want to say, how does she manage to fit everything into her into a day? I just don't know how she does it. <laughs> but I'm hopeful I'll, I'll get the goss on that when I talk to her. So I've started with a question. This novel, Double Helix, is a book that asks a lot of questions too. I love all these conundrum kind of books. <laughs> so some of the questions, and you might want to think about this, Seneca, and, or our, um, our, our listeners will too. What would you do if you found out that you'd inherited the genes for an illness that would eventually kill you and kill you horribly? Doesn't sound very nice, does it? Now, would you prefer not to know and just get on with living your life? Let's face it, um, if you have a genetic test and discover that you've got the gene for some horrible disease Mm. called XYZ and it's likely to express itself in about 10 years' time, do you get on with your life? Do you give up now Mm. or you know and look um there's the old story you might get still get hit by a bus tomorrow you know cheery yeah i'm being very cheerful today aren't i (laughs) would so or would you be better off just getting on with your life not knowing what disease processes might be lying in wait for you um and does this answer change if if you've got dependence, mm. I suspect it might. Um, although, how do you then go about getting decent insurance if you know about a pending disease? Because once you know about something, you can't unknow it, can you? Mm, that's true. So this is one of these ethical medical conundrums that that we're faced with. I kind of know where I sit on that spectrum of, of questions and answers. And everyone... Mm, everyone is going to, you know, maybe have different experiences. So this story, it's it's not just about genetic lotteries, although it's a, that's a big part of it. It's also a very romantic love story. And it's an account of, of life as a medical student in Dunedin and an account of the, the stresses, the exhaustion and, and the small triumphs of life as a doctor in New Zealand and Australian hospital wards. Um, and this is what Eileen writes 
so well because she's mm-hmm. writing from her own experience. So our main characters in, in this book, Jake and Emily, they're both med students in Indonesia and they've known each other since they were at school. But Emily um, drops out of med school because she pursues dreams of becoming an author and an illustrator. And Jake, the lovely man, Jake, he continues on with his medical studies. Now, Jake's mother and uncle both died of Huntington's disease Mm -hmm. um, within the last decade or so. So that's where Jake's got some deciding. What what does he want to know? You know, and he and Emily are in love. They want to have maybe marry, have children, Mm. make a life together. They do they need you know a part of them thinks we need to know whether Jake's inherited these genes. Part of them thinks let's stay in denial. Right. You know, it's it's a hard one. So now Eileen does a great job of highlighting the inequities in our healthcare system. Um, even though we're meant to all be equals in in our health system in Aotearoa, we're all meant to receive the same levels of care. She um, really exposes some things that are, are quite eye-opening. Mm. She's such a gifted storyteller and she describes our landscape so beautifully, our beaches, our waves. Um, now Jake's a surfer in the book. So, and I'm so much in awe of anyone who can surf in Dunedin. <laughs> Sinclair and all yeah, you've got to be brave for that. <laughs> now, Eileen's writing has been compared to the issues-based writing of writers like Jodie Pico, but I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I will say that I think Eileen's books are better than Jodie Pico's books. I'm not sure what the secret source is, though. Is it more substance, more grit, more lived experience of the subjects? I don't know, but um, maybe I'll find out when I interview her. Oh, I'd so, be uh, glad to hear that comment. Though. Yes. Oh, yeah, I should. I'll put that in. Okay. Yes. I'll make that my first question. Um, so now, look, in the meantime, make sure you get yourself in the queue for one of Eileen Mer- Merriman's many books. Her stories will move you, I can guarantee it, and you won't be disappointed. Oh, so now this one right. is called Double Helix. Mm. It's a great one. We really loved the sound of um, the silence of snow, didn't we, as well? Yes. Oh, absolutely. So moving. Mm, yeah, which had some similar themes, but wow, what a story. Yes. Well, Eileen is so talented and she is writing for adults and teens. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. It's, there's an Eileen Merriman for the whole family, I'm sure of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I have been reading um, The Candy House by Jennifer Egan, um, and that's published in 2022. And that's available in an adult fiction collection and also in large print, not an ebook as yet, but um, keep an eye on it. Now, Jennifer Egan, um, you may know from her previous books, um, A Message from the Goon Squad and um, Manhattan Beach, among others. Um, but The Candy House actually returns to the world of um, A Message from the Goon Squad, so um, which I read a really long time ago. So <laughs> it was actually really nice to revisit these characters. The Candy House takes a speculative look at the intersection of people and tech through the eyes and experiences of its large cast of interlinked characters, many of whom um, have have flitted across from message uh, from the Goon Squad. Now, mm-hmm. this book is specifically focused on themes of memory, identity, consciousness, and privacy, and it looks at how the groundwork 
of our current and possible future state has been laid and also where that path might be might be leading to. So the, this book begins with 40-year-old Bix, who's the head of um, a tech, one of those mega tech companies called Man, uh, Mandala. Now, he's seeking out the next big product or service that's going to change the way we live. And he's diving deep into the research, um, into the forces that drive audiences to adopt those products and what, what, what really motivates them and what makes them um, lifelong users. Just as in reality, you know, that research into human social and psychosocial behavior is being used in in lots of different ways and often in ways that the originators may not have expected or anticipated or, you know, even perhaps have wanted. the, um, the it leaps from the past to the present and to the near future. Um, and Mandela's biggest game-changing product in this book is Own Your Unconsciousness, which is a product which allows you to access every memory you've ever had and share them with others in exchange for access to the memories of those other people. Um, oh, a quote from the, I know. A quote from the book here: Who could resist gaining access to the collective consciousness for the small price of making our own anonymously searchable? Just as prior tech generations went for music sharing and DNA analysis, never fully reckoning in our excitement over our revelatory new freedom with what we surrendered by sharing the entirety of our perceptions to the internet and to counters like me. And this is from my. Um, a character who is on the other side analysing the data that comes out of this. Now, as I said, there's a companion to a message from the Goon Squad. So what you've got here is you've got a lot of the same characters, but the main characters change. So secondary characters become main characters and it flips around a bit. So you've got the record producers and agents from the original book, Benny Salazar and Lou Klein, plus their families. You've got artists and musicians, families and friends all on the scene again. But the focus in this book is really on how technology mediates their lives and relationships now. Um, There's a really interesting section where they're... um, where the youngest members of the record production company in the mid-90s um, are introduced to Napster's file-sharing software. And they realise instantly, of course, this is the beginning of the end for the record company and that consumer model. Um, you know, they realise that consumers are, are happy to provide strangers with access to their personal computers, their files, their information, and they're literally, and this is a quote from the book, giving it away for a song. Um, it does make you feel a little bit like frog and a pot of rapidly warming water when you start reading these things and then it carries on through into the past the 2020s but there's also a growing counter movement to the book so you've got eluders who are trying to drop off the radar and they leave paid professionals to maintain online presence um, by proxy so that they can pursue a life um, without tracking basically and there's also some secret labs who are who are there to offer scanning services in case you think that your um, your body's been infiltrated by the government. Now, Jennifer Egan's writing style, if you've read her before, it's as fascinating as ever. Um, there's lots of jumps forward and back from one character in one time period to the next. Um, a lot of it is quite straight, but then there's, there's these um, interesting sections as well. So you've got uh, a section that's written as a series of emails and sidebar chats between a huge group of characters. Um, there's another section which is um, started as kind of like a how-to manual for a civilian spy on manoeuvres. Um, and there's also another character whose job is to convert stock elements and tropes from TV and media into algebra. So oh, things like... I'm- 
excited by this. I thought you would like this but <laughs> I is the main character and the, that character becomes you know diminished or divided or <laughs> advances or is multiplied by their interactions by you know characters A, B and C but um, this character who's doing all the algebraizations as they call them um, soon realises that actually he's become the side click, he's like the non what do they call it? Non-payable character in his own oh, life. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so really interesting, um, as always, with Jennifer Egan. Um, a caveat here, I would absolutely recommend this book, but I will say that plot-wise, it's not really covering new ground. If you're someone who's watched things like Black Mirror, or you've read a bit of sci-fi, or you're a fan of, you know, tech blods and podcasts that kind of project forward um, into the or uh, futurists, all those sorts of people. But on the plus side, it is bang up to date. It's um, It mentions the pandemic. Um, and it's a really timely read, you know, after these last two years of everything online, more or less. And it definitely does beg the question that as we reach for more ways to connect more intimately with ourselves and each other, what are we prepared to do and to give away to turn on, tune in and drop out? So that was like, yeah, The Candy yeah. House by Jennifer Egan. I love the sound of that. And as you say, even though some of the material has been done before, um, it sounds, you know, because she is a great satirist, really, isn't mm. she? It she does is. sound um, quite cutting and um, I really like the sound of it. And so I'll be putting my name down for that one because I, I want to do some algebra. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure you're the only person that's ever said that. <laughs> yes, that's right. I'll get a T-shirt. No, no one will speak to me at work. Well, look, that's been really fun um, talking about these books today with you, Inika. Thanks for your recommendations. Oh, and um, we'll see you again next week. And so to our listeners, thanks for tuning in today. Take care and be kind to yourselves. Happy listening. Haere rā. Ka kite anō. by Auckland Libraries. Find us online at aucklandlibraries.govt.nz and catch the program next Sunday at 9.35pm on 104.6 FM or anytime online at planetaudio.org.nz slash books and beyond. Every day.